Good morning and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Forum Church. It's good to see all of you today and good to be seen, I suppose, by those of you joining us online, either simultaneously or after the fact today. Welcome to all of you, no matter how you're joining us. My name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here at Pleasant Street on behalf of all of us. So glad that you could be with us today as we continue our journey uh, in this season of Lent together toward the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. With that in mind, there's a couple of things I want to highlight for you as we're getting started this morning. Uh, the first of which is that the softball team is looking for uh, those who want to re-up or new recruits. And so they'll be starting uh, later this month in April. Um, if you'd like to find out more about the team or join it, uh, Scott, I think. I didn't know if I saw him here today, but Scott Schneider is someone you can reach out to online um, through email. There's information here in the bulletin. Um, and also I want to highlight for you that today we welcome John Vriesma, who will be um, leading us uh, in the book of John that we've been looking at together during Lent. And so welcome, John. Glad to have you preaching for us this morning. And then finally, is as we come to the end of our uh, season of Lent and our journey together, I wanted to highlight for you that we have a couple ways that we'll be celebrating the events of uh, the central part of our faith together. Uh, up the hill at Fairlawn on Thursday, um, please, jo next Thursday, please join us for a Monday, Thursday service there. And then the next night for Good Friday here on, um, at 7 p.m. And then Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. You're welcome to join us for all of those if you can. Uh, and today, having gathered now in God's presence, would you rise in body or in spirit, friends? Let's worship together. Let us contemplate Jesus the Lord. Instead of the joy meant for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its grace. Disgrace. O oh, Jesus Christ, born in humility to confound the proud and to raise the humble. You lived among us, healing the sick, proclaiming good news to the poor, and freedom to prisoners. We worship you, Lord. Jesus, full of patience and goodness, you showed forgiveness and kindness to the very end. We worship you, Lord. Jesus, you came into the world to serve and to give your life. You were betrayed for money, dragged before the judges, and nailed to a cross. We worship you. Jesus, Lord of the universe, by your resurrection from the dead, you are alive at the Father's side, and there you prepare a place for us. We worship you, Lord. Stand on me. 
What is God's fifth commandment for us? Lord God, you are our creator and king. 
you also reveal yourself to be our Father. Lord, you ask us to honor our fathers and mothers. We confess that we struggle to know what it means to honor and love our parents. Lord, you ask us to guide and correct the children entrusted to us. We confess that as parents, we struggle with discipline, we minimize their concerns, or we are sometimes too rough with rebuke. We are afraid of their rejection, and we do not know how to guide them to you. Loving Father, like younger sons and daughters, we return to you now, confessing that we have spurned your authority while we spend your blessings. We have grieved you and caused hurt to others, and we are not worthy to be called your children. Loving Father, have mercy on us, and receive us again into your household, for we have been lost without you. Friends, hear these words of assurance. Jesus came to tell us what God is like, and Jesus told us a story about two rebellious sons and a forgiving father. A father had two sons. One despised him, went far away, and squandered his father's wealth. The other son stayed close to home, but his far heart was far away too. He disparaged the father, giving him only cold obedience. Both sons spurned the father's love, and yet the father sought them both. The father ran to the younger son. The father went out to the older son. Friends, Jesus told this story in order for us to know that God seeks lost children, both near and far, and to show us that he is the gift of the father, the faithful son, and our good older brother. Please continue in silent confession on the fifth commandment. Would you please stand and join us in singing How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Oh, 
peace of Christ be with you all. Let's greet each other in a COVID-friendly way. Can I have all the kids from Kid Street come up here? People of God, what is our prayer? peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. I'm Sue Cooper, one of the elders here at Pleasant Street. And it is an honor and privilege for me to lead us in prayer this morning. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you with our requests and petitions. We come to you with thanksgiving, for you have blessed us and call us your children. As we are walking through this Lenten season, we have seen time after time how you have shown your love through Jesus to the woman at the well and the blind man and the lame man and to the disciples as Jesus washed their feet and ultimately at the cross. Forgive us when we take your love lightly. Father, we pray for those in our community who are recovering from illness or injury. We pray for healing and strength for Rick and Leanne, and Donna, Hank, and Carol, and Dwayne. Father, we pray for Shirley uh, Y, who will have surgery on Wednesday. We pray for relief from pain for Audrey, and we pray for those who mourn. Wrap your comforting arms around them. Bless those who are shut in and not able to get out and about. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them and bless them. Father, bless especially the children and teens of this congregation and community. We thank you for the volunteers who minister to our youth. Please bless Kate in her work with our young ones. Father, there are so many concerns and burdens that can weigh us down. The war in Ukraine, political polarization in our own country, continuing cases of COVID, the economy, and many others. Lord, help us to remember that our world belongs to you. And we affirm with these words from the contemporary testimony, 
from the beginning, through all crises of our times, until the kingdom fully comes, God keeps his covenant forever. Our world belongs to God. God is king, let the earth be glad. Christ is victor, his rule has begun. The spirit is at work, creation is renewed. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Open our ears and our hearts to your word and bless John as he brings us your word to us today. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Our reading this morning is from John 19. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. And this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled that he said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I appreciate being able to be here. It's a blessing to be here. Before church, I did notice that there was a box of blocks in the back, so if anybody's bored, feel free. It might not just be for the kids, you know, feel free. Well, it's two weeks before Easter, two weeks before we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. Oftentimes, uh, around this time of year, pastors will preach sermons on these seven words of Jesus or seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. Um, I would like to share one of those with you this morning. Nine years ago is actually when I created this sermon. Um, I was asked to preach by my sister's uh, church on these words, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother, from the Gospel of John, chapter 19. And when I was first asked to preach on this, I wanted to say no immediately because I thought, what do you preach on with this? What do you say about this one? I, I, I get, you know, um, you know, f- forgive, you know, Jesus wanting to forgive. I, I get, you know, the, the other sayings. 
um, you know, it is, it is finished, etc. cetera. Uh, but this one, I'm like, what do you do with this one? And, and so I was very tempted to right away say no. I didn't have a lot of time. I, I, I didn't really know what to say. And so, but then something within me said, no, 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 stop and think about it a little bit. And it just so happened, it occurred to me that the date that I would be preaching was exactly the two-month mark of my dad's funeral. He passed away December 29 of 2012, and two months exactly later, I would be preaching this sermon. And I was like, okay, wait a minute, that's a little bit coincidental. And then something began to tug at me, and I thought, let me think about this scene a little bit. There's Jesus on the cross speaking to his mother. What were they thinking as they stood there? I'm thinking Mary and John in shock at what's happening, Jesus in front of them. And suddenly I began to think about that phone call that I received that Saturday morning from my sister telling me my father had passed away. He had been struggling for a while, but it was a bit of a shock because I had just seen him four days earlier. And as I thought more about it, I, I thought about planning a funeral with my siblings, and the, I thought it remembered the hours at the funeral home, visiting hours. I remembered the funeral, and I remembered the burial, and the time that we had as a family afterwards. And then I remember my mom trying to be strong, but at times giving in to tears. And then the Word spoke to me, Jesus on the cross, and my name's John, and well, he said John. Right? It's this, we assume it's John the disciple, and, and all of a sudden it was like, I remember hearing God basically speak to me, take care of your mother. And that became very poignant for me, and I thought, well, okay, God, I guess you do have something I have to share in a sermon, but more importantly, it's really a message for me, and so I think more than anything, I preached that sermon for myself, because it was a message to a son who was now the son of a new widow. And so I just sat there for a while thinking about this scene of Mary, his mother, now being a widow, and those two things kind of intersected. And if you would just bear with me for a little while, I would like to enter that scene with you a little bit of Mary and John at the cross. There we witness the powerful, intimate moments of Jesus on the cross with his mother standing there, perhaps 20 or 30 feet from the cross. She may be nearly eye level with Jesus, his bodies were usually hung just a foot or two off the ground. Perhaps she moves closer to him only to be horrified at the brutality with which her son has been treated. Blood all over, cuts from the flogging, thorns on his head, hands and feet pierced with nails muscles raw, at times fighting for life and at times slumping in defeat and exhaustion, his body alternating between limpness and staggering breaths. How could she stand there near to her son, watching him slowly breathe his last breaths? Perhaps she moves back as soldiers come very businesslike and unemotional to check on the crucified. I imagine she had many, many thoughts running through her mind during these minutes, perhaps hours that she was there. I'd like to explore that with you for a few moments. I imagine she has thoughts about Jesus' birth. She knew it was something special from the angel's words in Luke 1. 
So the Holy One will be born, the one to be born, he will be called the Son of God. Her head screams, though, wait a minute, those angels who said that, where are they now? Don't they know what's happening? Angels, come, rescue my son, take him off the cross. I wonder if she has thoughts about Simeon, who saw Jesus on his eighth day of life. Is this the pain in my heart, what Simeon meant in Luke 2.35 when he said, and a sword will pierce your own soul too? I wonder if she has thoughts about Jesus at the temple as a 12-year-old. She must have wondered how much he knew about Scripture and how much he knew about God, or I guess is that his father. Was he more knowledgeable than we all thought even at that time? Yes, she must have pondered, treasured all these things for many years. She must have always wondered, but now she wishes she could have those innocent years back, those cute, innocent years back. I wonder if she has thoughts about his powers. If he could turn water into wine, what else could he do? She probably has thoughts about his teachings. He has such unique perspectives. He seemed to speak so powerfully, and yet his teachings at times angered so many. What did he mean when he said he would rebuild the temple in three days? Was his death payback for tipping those tables and knocking over the money boxes and letting the sheep free? She might remember the crowds in the synagogue in her hometown of Nazareth who loved him at first and then just a few words from his mouth and they wanted to stone him. She may have had thoughts about him traveling around the country with his disciples. She must have wondered, where did he sleep? Who fed him? Who tended to him when he got sick? Why did he choose to leave a nice, comfortable career like carpentry for an unstable life of a rabbi? I was proud of him. Couldn't we just go back to those days? Can't we just turn back the clock and have you back in your workshop? <laughs> the nails you held then are the nails holding you to the cross. I wonder if she thought about his miracles. Where did he get power to do such amazing things? Clearly, Joseph and I didn't have such genetically passed down gifts. How did God work such amazing things through his body? How did I raise a son who could do such extraordinary things? He calmed the storm and controlled the demons and healed diseases. He, he made the lame walk and the blind see, turned water into wine. Can't you get yourself off the cross, Jesus? You brought Lazarus back from the dead. Why can't you do something for yourself this time? God, Father, please take him off the cross. I wonder if he had thoughts about his disciples. Yeah, they're nice boys, but why did he choose them? What makes them so special? And what will happen to them after this? Will they go back to fishing? I'm glad John's here with me now. Jesus really seemed to connect to him, but he must be terrified too, like I am. I wonder if she has thoughts about the nation. He riled up so many leaders. What will happen after Jesus dies? Will we have that peace that Jesus talked about? Was Jesus supposed to lead a riot to bring freedom? How long will these brutal Romans rule? Could Jesus have killed them all if he wanted to? Why did he have to be so kind to them when right now they're so cruel to him? 
wonder if he has thoughts about, I wonder if she has thoughts about his submission. Why didn't he resist? Why didn't, why did he bring freedom from pain and freedom from handicaps and freedom from guilt and freedom from shame for so many, but right now he doesn't bring freedom for himself from this tree of death? I wonder if she has thoughts about the crowd. Why do they mock my son? Don't do that. Don't you know how much good he's done? Don't you know that I'm standing here? Why do you have to be so cruel? I imagine Mary has many, many thoughts run through her head, written on her face. Imagine her body doubled over, hunched with pain. Perhaps John, standing next to her, holds her up, one arm around her shoulders, maybe one arm wrapped around her, in part to comfort her, but in part to support her weight. Her stomach is aching, her heart pounding. Had she been one to wear makeup, it'd be streaking down her face. Her emotional pain mirrors Jesus' physical pain, a mother deeply in grief. I wonder about John. Imagine him there as well with his own tortured thoughts. He might be thinking such things as, you know that day Jesus called me and others to leave our boats and follow him. <laughs> if I'd known it would end like this, I'm not sure I would have followed him. And, and, and what about Jesus' baptism? The Holy Spirit came down on him. Where's the Holy Spirit now? And, and now what? If Jesus dies, who's going to lead us? Peter? Hardly. I hear he was a coward last night and denied Jesus three times. He's certainly not in any shape to be leading anyone now. Will we all go back to fishing? What now? I suspect John may have thought about the transfiguration. I hear John thinking aloud, Jesus, you looked so powerful and majestic that night. What happened that now you're in this weakened and miserable state? Call on Moses. Call on Elijah. They'll straighten things out. Images must have been running through John's mind, flashing one scene after another. He must have thought about Passover just the night before. The meal they ate. The precious words of Passover freedom spoken. The promises of God that were sung in the Hallel, those psalms that they would sing at every Passover. And then he remembers, he washed our feet. And in John's head, he must wonder, did he know he would be dying today? He did mention it a few times, but we weren't really paying attention. And Judas, how could you? Look what you did. Jesus knew you would betray him. We didn't realize it last night, but now it's obvious. He might remember a day a few weeks before. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death and we'll hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit him on him and flog him and kill him and three days later he'll arise. And James and I, we then asked him quietly, Jesus, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other on your left hand in glory? How could have I asked such a stupid thing? He wanted our sympathy and encouragement, and all I could think of was my glory and honor. He told us about this day, and all I could think of was of myself. How could I be so selfish? Why didn't I hear him say he would die? 
And now I just stand here helplessly looking at him. I should have done something to prevent this. God, forgive me. And Jesus, in pain, unable, unwilling, perhaps, to be free from the cross, he looks to John and Mary. His pain is excruciating. He by now has lost a great deal of blood. His thoughts must be dizzying, his muscles screaming, his consciousness fading in and out. But he sees his mother clearly for a moment. What son would not ache at his own mother's pain? And his mind clears as he looks past the physical pain enough to address her. Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Words are few as the beatings and crucifixion have stolen his breath and energy. Perhaps he addresses her as woman to help her emotionally distance herself from being the mother of a dying son. She must have stood stunned. How can he be thinking of my well-being at a time like this? I should be the one caring for him. I'm his mom. When he bruised his knee as a child, I washed them. I hugged him. When he hit his finger with a hammer, I helped him with cold water and a bandage. When he was hungry, I made his favorite meal. I should be helping him. It's what good mothers do. And Jesus, in his pain, looked beyond his own words and cared for his, the future well-being of his mother. Every other day of his life and his ministry years, Jesus put others first. He healed the demon-possessed and cured the lepers and spared a woman caught in adultery and brought restoration to a man with a shriveled hand and spared the bridegroom's father the embarrassment of running out of wine. Who would blame him on this day for being self-absorbed and worried about his own pain and suffering? But how appropriate and compassionate and how amazing that the first three words or statements from the cross actually focus on other people and not Jesus himself. First, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Jesus is forgiving those who put him on the cross while he's on the cross. And while the Jews over the centuries have been vilified for putting Jesus on the cross... He forgives them before he does or says anything else. And if he forgives them, how can we blame others for Jesus' death when really it was our sins that put him there? We too need to be forgiving people like Jesus. The very first thing he says. His second words he says to one of the thieves next to him. He offers him hope in the midst of this dark and ghastly scene. To the believing thief, he says, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. In his own pain and agony, innocent though he was, he offers the thief a promise that in a few short hours, you will be with me in heaven. He gave hope and comfort to this man in his dying hours. I wonder how many loved ones have we known who have needed to hear those amazing words on their last days and in their last hours? What peace and hope and assurance these words offer to us and to the thief on that day. You will be with me in paradise. And now in our passage, Jesus carries out his obligation as the oldest child, the oldest male among his siblings. 
He's the one who needs to make sure his mother is taken care of. He could have chosen one of his siblings to take care of her, but he knows that they have doubted him. Perhaps they haven't shown their love as much as they could have. Perhaps they're not there at that moment. Will they be a comfort to Mary? Will they speak well of him when he's gone? Will they give her the hope and confidence she needs as she moves on from this torturous event? Well, John will be all that for her. He has shown his love and his faithfulness and dedication to Jesus. He'll be there for her in the future as he's there for her now in her moment of greatest need. And in reflecting on these moments of Jesus on the cross, I moved to reflect on my dad's death nine plus years ago. Perhaps you've experienced tears not that long ago from the loss of a loved one. As I said earlier, I remembered the tears of those days. I remembered the phone call, as I said earlier, that Saturday morning, laying in stunned silence. Is this really happening? I remember the visiting hours. With family and friends, we cried tears of sadness with many loved ones visiting us. We were consoled and comforted by many loving folks from my parents' church, friends from my sister's church, colleagues, neighbors on the street where we lived as kids, many friends of the family. We received so many cards with comforting words of love, so many caring, loving, compassionate folk who took the time to enter our lives with kind words, and we were blown away. As Jesus could not physically offer his own hands and arms as he was on the cross and would soon be dying, he offered Mary comfort in the arms of John, a friend who can continue being Jesus' hands and feet. Just as Jesus couldn't be there physically for us, even some of you from here, the Whitensville area, were the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing his love and his comfort and his assurance. I thought it was really cool at the time of uh, my, a little ways before, sorry, um, my dad passed away. Actually, excuse me, sorry. At the time of my, uh, both of my mom and dad's death, seven years apart, there were actually many up here who are Mary's and John's in the flesh offering us hope. The church and school family became the physical earthly arms of God, wrapping us up in love like a father smothering his child with big strong arms now once jesus is taken care of his mother he can move into the business of leaving this earthly life his mother will be cared for john will be cared for and they have each other and there will be a community that will love and support and carry each other in the hard days ahead similar to what my mother and we siblings experienced after my dad passed away even before my dad passed away I remember my mom describing a phone call in which some men in church were putting together a schedule to take my dad to dialysis because my mom couldn't do it all the time. And I remember thinking, that's what the church is. That's what the church is supposed to do. Be a family that cares for each other in times of need. And I imagine Jesus is doing the same thing as he sends Mary and John off to help each other perhaps off to help the other disciples too. Community is the lifeblood of church while Jesus is gone. And so I hear Jesus saying to me, in your pain, I care. I care whether nine years ago when you lost your dad or a year and a half ago when you lost your mom 
or in any other situation where there's emotional or physical pain, I care for you. And he's a God who reaches out to us. He cries with us and he mourns with us. And in John 11, when Lazarus is in the tomb, Jesus weeps. He knew he would raise Lazarus, but there's a tender moment there when he cries with the mourning. He weeps with us, our Emmanuel, the God who is with us in our pain and our trials. When we mourn the loss of our dad, I imagine, mom, or I imagine God was there. And with our mom, I know God was there. In those moments, I think God cried with us too. But I also think he laughed with us when we remembered all those great times as kids and all the funny stories as a young family trying to get by because he's a God who's close by and he cares. He feels every emotion with us. And so is it a coincidence that my name is John too, as we have John the disciple? As I prepared this sermon nine years ago now, as I said, I first wanted to say no. I'm too busy to preach. I don't know what to say. But then I heard God say, hey, your mom is a widow now, like Mary was at that point. And your mom's going to need support. Be a good son. You've got someone to care for now in ways you didn't have to care for her before. And so I increased my phone calls and my emails and my visits to be with her. We need to care for our widows and widowers. But I think it's broader than that. I hear Jesus even saying to this church family, you have hurting folks to care for while I'm gone. Be a community that shows that love. Make sure there's no members in your community that are hurting. Make sure there's no ill folks who wish they had company or a hot meal delivered but got none. Make sure your widows get attention. Offer a ride to the store or share a cup of tea or spend an hour chatting about old times or help a family who's in financial stress or help around the yard. Hmm. My dad had a landscaping business. He seemed to especially look out for the widows. I noticed that when I was young. He seemed to especially um, watch out and care and do things for them. He knew that they needed help. He would often go there after dinner to help with some household chore. Those were his Marys. I too do some very part-time landscaping for some elderly folks. In a way, they have become my Marys. In a way, I become my dad too. After I hear Jesus say, I want you to all get along, in the upper room, as he shares with the, uh, his, the Passover with his disciples, just some 16 hours earlier, before he is on the cross, he prays with his disciples, and he prays for believers about the kind of community he would like to see. He's praying in part for our church to experience unity. I can imagine him challenging us to strive for the same. Listen to his words here in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, even as you have loved me. 
Father, I want, you, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them so that the love you have for me may be in them. That's our goal. Striving to love those around us, especially those who need some special attention. And so I ask, end by asking, who are your Marys and who are the Johns in your life? Who needs to be encouraged and embraced in a special way? And so I could say, Marys, here are your sons. And Johns, here are your mothers. Love them with all your heart. Serve them as Jesus did. Be a loving, caring community. And may we all know and experience in heartfelt, tangible ways the love of Jesus in the good times and especially in those that are not so good. As we move toward Easter, let's be a more caring church, knowing that Jesus' death was a great act of service that should motivate us to love and serve each other. Would you pray with me? Father, Jesus spoke such powerful words of compassion from the cross. Help us to be able to speak such words and live out such acts of service that are Christ-like. You are such a loving God who is involved in our lives, and you care so much about us. You know us and accept us and live with us. Help us, Lord, to feel your presence through the, your words in Scripture and through the words and actions of others. Help us to be your hands and feet to those that need our care. Help us to be like mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers, sons and daughters to each other. Let us be Marys and Johns of John 19. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We now invite those who are going to echo grades three to five. Would you kindly come up? Let's say together, people of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and God, for the gift of your word, help us to believe what we have heard, plant it deep in our hearts, and live in ways that honor you above all. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. At this point, um, we have just a moment for our offering. And it occurs to me that a way that we can be Mary and John's to our community is in one way, financially, through our budget, we give to various causes that try to help those who are hurting. And so this is our chance to try to um, assist that, those agencies and committees and clubs and, and so on to help different people, both locally in our church as well as around the world. So would you give generously, thoughtfully, thankfully to God. You may do so in the box out there. 
You can give to the office. You can give online. So let us be generous, thankful givers to God. All right. Would you mind standing, please, as we respond in song? of the Holy Spirit be with you all today.
peace and have a blessed week.